Welcome to Screen Talk, IndieWire's weekly podcast. I'm Eric Cohn, the Deputy Editor and Chief Critic, joined as always by Ann Thompson, our Editor-at-Large, and we are speeding straight into the holidays and ready for this year to be over, but we got still a lot of stuff to talk about, Ann, lots of movies to recommend people see over the holidays, and uh, things that are happening with movies that are already out there, and even some award season updates that are squeezing into the conversation right before the end of the year. So let's get into it. I think first and foremost, we should get the awards conversation out of the way because it's actually really interesting this week. The big update that happened actually right after we finished recording the last episode was a foreign language shortlist that comes out. So this list is always really interesting because of the way that it cuts down the race so much and inevitably something gets snubbed. There were two significant snubs this week, and I think we should start out by talking about what those snubs are, and why we think they didn't make the cut. Okay, so most people have some sense that there's the regular foreign language committee, which um, votes, and it's hundreds of people from all different branches, and those six winners go into this list of nine. And then there's a special committee run by this producer named Mark Johnson, and they pick the last three. And they have to see what the first six were in order to figure out which three they're going to save. So part of the game here is Fantastic Woman probably made it into the first six. Maybe Fantastic, uh, maybe the uh, Foxtrot from from Israel. Um, You know, which three, you know, maybe the Square, maybe uh, uh, Loveless. Um, which three didn't didn't get in? And so was it South Africa's The Wound? Was it Senegal's uh, Felicite, which is the real surprise in, in the list of, you know, the one that a lot of people did, did uh, that I know ha- haven't seen, including me. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it kind of jumped to the top of my must-see list after absolutely. I Absolutely. Absolutely. And so, so, you know, maybe they were adding diversity, um, you know, maybe, maybe they didn't add BPM, which is the movie from France that I did not expect the regular committee to vote for, but I did expect the extra committee to put in. Maybe they didn't put that in because they already had a movie about a transgender woman, fantastic woman, and they didn't feel like they had to, uh, you know, click the, the, uh, the other bar again, you know, it's, they Which think is the like most that. Frustrating thing about identity politics conversations in general is this sort of, it's like from a curatorial standpoint, you're looking for that balance and all of a sudden it becomes less about, you know, is this movie worthy and more about, does it, you know, that's part of the politics of the day. And there's no question that that's true. Actually, there's only one woman director on the whole list, which, which, uh, which is unusual. Uh, and what, usually there's they, more. They, well, so two of them that, that could have been on there. Zon, one, Zon, you like the... Lucrecia Martel's Zama is right. a beautiful movie. It was a hard sell. There's no question about it. You have to imagine a lot of people who uh, were Academy members who were seeing this movie wasn't for every sensibility. It's a very experimental kind of mood piece or whatever. But Angelina Jolie's First They Killed My Father, uh, that was an interesting one because going back to Telluride, we thought, well, she's a Cambodian citizen. The movie's not bad. It's a good movie, and I, I, you know, I wasn't surprised that the Golden Globes uh, put it in their foreign language category. But um, it was clear to me that there was resistance to the movie. Um, either a lot of men didn't relate to it, you know, it's told from the point of view of a five-year-old girl, or 
um, there was a lot of resistance to her as a sort of activist Hollywood movie star, if you like, slumming in Cambodia. I don't see it that way. I really give her a lot of credit and respect, and I loved the movie, genuinely thought it was well made, but I could see that a lot of people resisted it. Well, and it shouldn't, in retrospect, be that surprising. I mean, she's been, I think, a serious filmmaker, even if she hasn't made a total masterpiece yet for a while, and yet Unbroken didn't crack the awards race for her as a writer-director. Well, it did well uh, in the, at the box office, which is sort yeah. of interesting. Yeah, I mean, she is more than a competent filmmaker, but there probably is some resistance around the visibility she has and what she brings to a project. And it'd be interesting to see how that continues to be a part of her career as a filmmaker. She has a complete body of work now. I mean, In the Land of Blood and Honey was a very... Um, I liked that movie, too. Very, very I mean, was it a hard sit? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, but this movie, it, it is. It, I think part of what's going on here is that this movie isn't as hard to sit through as people think it is. And, and they're just not very watching well. it. And BPM is actually a harder sit for a lot of people because it's all talk and strategy. Very agitprop. Yeah, but, you know, again, of course, the, the instinct is to assume the worst about people, and there's a bunch of old homophobes in the academy, so they're heading no, for the egg. No, I don't think in that particular branch especially that's true. But that's, um, that's the first assumption. They went for Fantastic Woman. They had no trouble with that. So Well, that movie is less explicit, though. I mean, there is, you know, the and also it's it's beautiful in a way that BPM is more naturalistic. And, that's true. In the part. And so, BPM, and but longer. honestly, let's be honest. Let's be absolutely candid here bpm as worthy as it is gets gets lost in the weeds and is very long it there is some uh room for criticism of that film sure but i think that it's interesting to look at the contrast between the foreign category and the other categories in this conversation because i mean you do see things like uh tony erdman which was very long and difficult for some people but was Still, kind of this fascinating hybrid of different experiences. That was definitely put in by the by the committee. Yeah, and it and it got nominated. So you know, if BPM was on the short list. Would it stand a chance to get nominated? Probably would, right? It would have been catapulted to a whole new level. And I'm not sure about that because remember, I mean, um, well, anyway, there's a whole other complicated of set of committees that's going to make the final well, choice. This time they're opening it up to several different cities uh, in addition to London and New York and LA, they are adding San Francisco and uh, and they're trying to invite more people to participate. So it isn't so well, much soon. the hand-picked Mark Johnson committee. But you got to assume the San Francisco contingency would go for BPM. Well, least, maybe that's part of what they have in mind. I have no idea. It's going to be interesting, though. One argument that's being put forward is that the danger of opening it up to a wider group, actually, is that that group could be more mainstream as opposed to the sort of hand-picked... Uh, erudite, uh, you know, uh, intellectuals that are, that are being picked to, to pick, you know, people with good taste, supposedly. It's a, it, you know, for my money, I actually wonder sometimes whether they shouldn't just, you know, let the, the, the you know, figure out a way to let everybody vote for this. It does make sense because when you think about it, it's like the, the delineation between foreign language and everything else 
is kind of misleading, right? Every now and then something breaks through and like a Michael Haneke gets Best Director nomination too. And it's not like the rest of the branch doesn't take these movies seriously or want to see them and talk about them. And there's also foreign language directors who are members of the Academy themselves. Some of them, especially live. now, there's been a lot of of movement lot. and a lot of additions of of, of uh, people living overseas uh, to to the ranks. Um, yeah, what's going to be what what appears to be true is that the committee has put into the shortlist and and those films have made it to the final five. Several of the winners of the Oscar, according to my sources, so that you would have. Uh, something like Son of Saul or Ida uh, or Great Beauty winning the Oscar. And if it hadn't been for the committee, they wouldn't have gotten in in the first place. So it's a, it's a, it's a bit complicated and not a, uh, entirely easy to figure out what is the absolute right way to do things. Yeah, I, I, I guess the, the big question here now is, okay, so we have this short list. What are the films that are going to resonate with the people who have the opportunity now or an even greater mandate to check them out? Because it's not a huge list. I mean, it's very doable to work through these movies. To me, it seems like, bottom line, Sony Pictures Classics comes out very well here with two movies that, to me at least, I haven't seen everything here, and I plan to watch Felicite soon, but... Foxtrot and A Fantastic Woman are the movies that, that really work for a lot of people. And Loveless, too. So they have but three. Lo but the, but the child, that's true. They also have a Loveless. A lot of people really like Loveless. I mean, that's well, not to Loveless, be discounted. It's interesting. I mean, I, I saw that, that Kenny Turan tweeted how these movies are all such downers. But to me, like, if you... Fantastic Loveless, Woman's not a downer. Yeah, I was going to say... The Loveless Square like isn't a downer. downer. Well, now, well, I responded with like, those two. <laughs> the thing is, the square is like it's kind of like a it's miserableism as comedy. So it is like it, it's not maybe not a downer in terms of its experience. It's hilarious. It's funny. Yeah, but it's sort and of sexy. like. But it's also well sexy that oh, yeah, we could argue about that. But like I think the bottom line with that movie is that there's no good guys in it. Like the they're all kind of awful people for the most part, and it's it's not a it's not something that not a movie that celebrates the world. But, I, I mean, Foxtrot has some really beautiful transcendental moments, I think, that take it out of the realm of just being uh, a dour look at gr the grieving process. And it's, I it's would put Foxtrot and, um, the, and Fantastic Woman in, uh, and I, I see what you're, you're saying, that they have two movies that could really win. And yes. I think you're right. I think those are the two front runners right now. Yeah, I mean, Loveless, you know, that director has been nominated before with Leviathan, Loveless is just such a depressing movie. It's a great movie, that, though. It, I mean, he's a very talented filmmaker. I think he's not, it's not quite as ambitious a storytelling feat as what he did with Leviathan, but it's certainly something that leaves an impact on people. It's an emotional Totally. Piece That's thinking. why I but keep recommending I, I, I mean, yeah. I personally, as a. It's know, also just, very beautiful. I mean, it's, yeah, it's stunning. But from to a watch. critical standpoint, I think Fantastic Woman and Fox Drive, yeah. not only are Fox Drive and Fantastic Woman front runners, I think. One of those two deserve it more than I, I would love to see one of those movies win. They're both just such incredible feats on on multiple levels, from a directing standpoint, from an acting standpoint, the mood, the fact that they're totally unexpected. And yes, they are, and they're both uh, movies that could have gone south if they hadn't been so extraordinarily well executed. And I give Foxtrot especially points. Um, I mean, you could argue that Fantastic Woman is in many ways a conventional narrative. It's 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 about a different way of looking at things than we're used to, but it's not um, 
it's not a radical uh, departure from standard narrative storytelling, whereas uh, Foxtrot is. And Foxtrot just gives you these hairpin turns and you, you have no idea where you're going. Yeah. And, and it's pretty things, exhilarating like, for that. We don't talk enough about how important that is. Not the kind of M. Night Shyamalan third act twist that became such a cliche, but actually being in the process of watching a movie and sort of almost subconsciously assuming you know what's going on and then it goes somewhere else entirely yeah, it's exciting. is really it's it's one of the best things that a movie can do so i want to talk about another issue pertaining to that another movie that actually does some things we didn't expect it to and that's star wars we talked a bit about it last week then it came out commercially could have told you last year that it was going to do super well. Of course it did. But It'll the be the biggest reaction, grossing movie of the year at the end yeah, of the day. Yeah, one way or another. But fans have been divided, which I think is just bonkers. The movie works like Game Busters and so many. The question is which fans and who, uh, who, whose agenda are we responding to? That's the thing that's so interesting in this world of what Donald Trump would call fake news um, if you go to a movie theater and you see Star Wars with a group of people, I was talking to a couple of people who had just seen it uh, in the theater, and they said it, felt, it played great. You know, it was it, it was does. fun. It I mean, it plays. certainly played great at the think, premiere. So, what the, the hell is going on that there's such a divide I, between the experience in the theater and what these trolls are writing online? Well, First of all, there's a couple of different things going on. Sometimes it, you can't trust the trolls. The trolls sometimes they, they just do it just to do it. That's kind of the nature of trolldom. That's what Donald Trump does, and he's like well, some a super of these troll. trolls are alt right trolls apparently. But, but well, yeah, and there's something weird going on there. I don't know about alt right claiming that it that it's responsible for all this stuff. I mean, but they're they, mad they, that they there are women that. in there, so many women, and it's like a yeah. repeat of the Paul Feig. Uh, you know, Ghostbusters. Yeah, yeah, except that was like not a great movie, and this one is. So I feel like Star Wars, the movie, and the, and the creative accomplishment that has happened here is just like so much more powerful than this backlash. But I think also, movie works like gangbusters in the theater, and yet fans who have an immediate visceral re reaction to it, in the you know, they're watching a Star Wars movie. It's like going to a rock concert. You know, the band's going to be good, and you have a good time. And then maybe you talk about later what you liked and what you didn't like. I think there is something about the way in which it settles in for people that's kind of interesting. Also, we live in a very uh, rapid-fire moment for information, and people have been publicly talking about how they think this movie's going to go for the last two years, almost to the point where they've written their own versions of it through fan theories. And for the movie to be scripted so well that it kind of transcends them Rather than for most people registering as a, a strong creative accomplishment, I think it's a disappointment for some people, you know, who are thinking only on the level of plot. You know, I'm thinking about, you know, this is a really interesting narrative device in one scene. I'm thinking about what he does with his camera at Canto Bite. It's so exciting that he can pay homage to Wings at the same time that he's introducing all these cool aliens. And, you know, there's so many things that are sort of accomplished from a filmmaking standpoint that have nothing to do with plot. But at the end of the day, you have this like really robust fan culture that is picking things apart in a way that has less to do with the artistry of the films and has more to do with the story world. They take that so seriously. And I don't think anything taboo has happened here. But no, he took some liberties with, with the rules, especially the thing we referred to last week, which which I think is genius, which is this idea that these people who are uh, part of the force are able to communicate across space and time 
in a direct way, and I think that's really exciting. Um, I'm assuming everybody's seen the movie by this point. Well, spoiler alert, and you can turn it off now if yeah, you want. You did a great job with with you know creating new uh, locations and and planets and and animals and pushing the different characters into different scenarios that you might not have expected. A lot of people wanted Ray and 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 uh, and Finn to be together. Well, they're not together, not in this particular episode, you know. Yeah, well, so they can wait for like, J.J. Abrams to come back into the picture. I know. I, I don't He's think it's hurting do anything. No, but it is interesting because it's like, yeah, I don't know. I think we're, we're, we live in a, a culture that's in constant transition mode, and Star Wars is, is like the apotheosis of popular culture. So when it comes out, we see all these aspects of our society reflected in the relationships that people have to it. And it's much more so than anything else. And they're being very <laughs> inclusive, and they're being very powerful. They're powerful women in there, um, a lot of them, and they're all balanced. And, and Ryan Johnson admits that he balanced them. So you actually do that. This is what it's supposed to look like, ladies and gentlemen. This yeah, is it's like the whole thing about inclusiveness and stuff. It's like, you know what I think is interesting? I'd love to live in a society where it's like you don't even have to mention it. Like, it just happens, and that's just the way things are. What but was as that whole stands, Joe Swamberg thing about how he's a white guy, but he wasn't the only one who made his movie? Did you read that story? It was uh, it his Netflix show, Easy, that he's making the point that he had, you know, a diverse element of input into the writing process, which, you know, fine, whatever. I mean, everybody's kind of grappling with this stuff. If you're a white guy telling stories, it's harder to um, kind of justify that you're representing the world you know, in a way that is satisfying to a lot of people. And I think the success of Get Out, for example, really speaks to just how underrepresented uh, people of color feel at the movies. And so, you know, look, even with even Star Wars doesn't totally hit every notch. You know, Finn is, is an important character. He's not the main, he's not no, the only, you know. So still, Ray is the main character. She really is. Yeah, and I doubt that she will be rescued by some knight in shining armor in the third one. I mean, that's kind of what's interesting about it. You go back to, like, Frozen, where you have a princess who's not rescued by a prince, and, and you can see that it's sort of like Disney in particular has been trying to get to this point where it doesn't have to put a woman character in deference to a man in some capacity, and people are seeing that and trying to understand it a little bit with this movie. So it's going to be interesting to see how the third one kind of comes back into the conversation and you know next year we'll get the a, a big dose of masculinity with this solo movie and I, it's hard to imagine a feminist twist in that one but uh, they're gonna try I mean but, you know Kathleen Kennedy even if she isn't hiring women to direct these movies is certainly trying to make the oh, um, maybe, the landscape more balanced maybe on some level she feels like she's directing all of them so you know, there is that that aspect of it. You know, so there's no question she's really running the ship. But no, there, she's running it all right. So speaking of, of, of women dealing with, uh, you know, these kinds of challenges, there was this whole Meryl Streep thing this past week that was really upsetting, which was this person, apparently some alt-right jerk, going around L.A. putting up photos of her with Harvey Weinstein saying she knew about all the crazy stuff he was doing. So that came out of this whole thing where um, Rose McGowan was criticizing Merrill 
for uh, not stepping up and admitting that she knew what was going on and not fighting Harvey at the time. And then Merrill wrote this long, very elegantly uh, phrased and very, I thought, sweet um, defense of herself. But what she was saying was that she didn't know, that she didn't think women should be fighting against each other in this context, that she was on Rose's side, and that she had been waiting by the phone for Rose to call her. She had reached out to her. It was quite she never heard from her. And you know that we all do perceive, I think, that many people perceive Rose as being absolutely fierce in her in her approach to what's going on. She's an angry woman, and she's presenting herself that way. Um, and I think a lot of people are having different reactions to whether Merrill knew or didn't know. But this is an interesting, again, the alt-right is, is fighting back against this very famous person who ever since the Golden Glows, but for a long time, has been perceived as the bastion of feminist liberalism. Yes. and it, But it's also, it's frustrating because it only adds to the sense that this battle is only just beginning in terms of how to deal with the fallout of Weinstein and all the different reverberations for the film industry. Like the whole Me Too thing, it's like, okay, so some women felt like they were going to make a difference by wearing black. And then Rose comes out and she has she takes issue with that, saying that it's actually very superficial or whatever. And like, it's just, it's really hard to get a sense for what, you know, activism in this particular context means when everybody's like kind of arguing in public to yeah, some degree. it's an interesting case of 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 when you know p you know rose obviously did a very brave thing um in stepping up along with a lot of other women who who joined her uh and she was you know a very um uh, assertive pioneer but um this infighting is is maybe you know counterproductive yeah i i don't i don't know i mean i guess my big question now is like what what are people supposed to do do you does every woman in the industry have an obligation to step up and say or do something in some particular way or does what rose has done here does that make it somehow harder because there is this fear not only of repercussions from the industry but from the kind of like yeah no everybody's there's she's she's acting like she's you know part of the thought police she's the, ar she's the arbiter you know there's some kind and of I, arbiter of I'm what is right and wrong I was a fan of Rose McGowan when a lot of people were trying to act like she was a crazy person for saying what she was saying you know a year or two years ago or more and um, I think the the challenge is that there's a price that comes with sort of having such an extremist kind of brand which is that sometimes you go too far and the conversation gets derailed or distracted you know it, she we can say whatever it. she wants the of question course. you know is there's a there is a certain kind of a movement afoot and and there are positive uh things that are coming out of this so many men have fallen so many people who had behaved Except so badly are being brought down there are all sorts of good things now my sense and i could be wrong is that a, there is a quiet male backlash uh building uh too and 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 we're starting to see some of this that right. people are not sitting back and and just uh you know, letting this happen. There's, there's a reaction and it's inevitable. The pendulum is swinging one way and then it goes the other way and we will see where we all end up. Yeah. No, it's, it's just, it, 
I, I'm so curious to see how a few weeks from now we'll be at Sundance, how people talk about it there. And then how does the international conversation reflect these things? And are there going to be more very important, not you know, famous people who go down in the process of all this stuff happening? The chances are strong that they will. It's just a question of, you know, how is the conversation going to evolve here? You know, we saw with all the money in the world that Ridley Scott you know, pull up this miracle, stitching uh, Christopher Plummer into this film, and the movie's fine. You know, it's okay. It's okay. But he, he did a good job of. But but, but finally, you're still left with what that movie is and right. what it is not. Right. And as you know, as much publicity as Ridley was able to garner for for this extraordinary feat that he performed, that probably he was literally the only person who could have pulled it exactly. off in that well, period of time. Um, you know, and Plummer stood up and did it, and 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 the movie's okay. But it's not a great. It's not just, just you know okay. an earth shattering awards movie. It's coming now, out in the awards. Some, some people season. really like his stuff, and and the craftsmanship there is undeniable. But oh, it's it, a yeah, great filmmaker. The tough stuff. But but I but what I, I guess what I'm trying to get is okay. So maybe he's the only guy who could have pulled that out, pulled that off. But that doesn't necessarily mean, but that there isn't something that can be gleaned from what he's done here because it's the first indication we've seen of a movie that didn't have to, or any kind of project that didn't have to just go away, crumple up and die. Well, I suspect that Louis C.K. having, um, I think he's bought back the the movie well, or trying to buy it back. Um, he has a website. He can do whatever he wants. He has a following. I wouldn't be surprised if his movie doesn't get released in some form or another. I don't think he's going to sit down and, and play dead. Um, no, he can do whatever he wants. Yeah. I mean, he's, I, he probably still has some kind of a following. I mean, with Louis C.K., it's like, I mean, the movie is like definitely more problematic just as an experience in the wake of what's happened to him. But it was a movie that was designed to be problematic and on some it's level dealing with these issues. And I yeah. think a lot of people give him credit for it. And a lot of people have given him decent reviews. I'm not a big fan of the movie at all. It gave me the creeps, but, uh, before it's right. this happened, it's, I, I think he's a, he's definitely got vision and there, there's, there are things that he does with, uh, tone that are really interesting, uh, this could have been a step up into an interesting arena for him as a director, but it's not going to be that. And his career will, all, you know, at least in the immediate future, it's going to have to continue to, to coexist with what he's done. That doesn't mean that he's necessarily blacklisted. It's kind of an interesting thing to wonder, uh, you know, as a, the guy has created a certain autonomy in terms of what he can do, even as he has worked very well with FX over the years and that, he controls his own stuff. He edits his own things. He can throw things up on his website and sell them and make money on it. So inevitably, he will probably turn back to doing that before he does anything else. But it's really hard to tell what else uh, what else he can pull off here. Well, anyway, let's talk what? about some of the holiday movies that I was we're going to say. On a, on a to. We've <laughs> sort of dealt with all the money in the world. Um, which, you know, again, um, is, right. is okay. I'm not a huge Mark Wahlberg fan, for, for example. So, I you know, I think Wilkins. when he's well cast in something, yeah. he can do a really good job. It's, but in this case, I think he was sort of boring. He just uh, is like frowning all the time. I thought Michelle Williams was interesting. Some she's of her a good actress. Off, and it, she's a good actress in The Greatest Showman, which our colleague, David Ehrlich, uh, gave a relatively benign review to, sort of enthusiastically praising its uh, pleasures as a uh, 
uh, a fake musical, basically, which is exactly uh, what it is. I, I really, I went along with it for a while, sort of going, hmm, this is exuberant. <laughs> and I mean, you know, this is also, you know, incoherent. I and, and Hugh Jackman it. sells it, but it goes off the rails so dramatically in the well, last third that I was horrified. I don't know. I mean, I haven't seen it, so I, I may or may not kind of go as a guilty pleasure kind of a thing. If it, what, what I thought was interesting about his reaction was that it was sort of like positioning it as this like postmodern kind of cultural experience. It may not be a good movie, but there's something that you get from it anyway. And that, <laughs> I would not say so. But let me not. see it. So yeah, most argue. of the critics are pretty pretty down on it. He wrote. Yeah. He also wrote a legendarily negative review, which has been sort of going viral. Uh, I love. I love it when he does a real pan, and he does do a real pan of Bright, which he has convinced me not to see. This is the big well, Netflix no, movie I'm starring totally Will Smith. Are you from kidding David me? Ayer. I'm totally. Why are you kidding? Like, come on. Yeah. First of all, reviews, not consumer guides. Second of all, you, I think it's important for us to be aware of what a blockbuster at Netflix looks like or their attempt to do this. What, what, if it's, it's, it sounds like an it? astonishing disaster, no, that's what I want to see. I'm saying you should watch it too. I'll There's watch it. I'm, 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 I'm not saying I'm not going to watch it. I'm saying he's talked me into maybe giving it a pass, though, if I'm going to follow up on my usual um, yes. MO, which is to try to avoid looking at bad movies. Right. Don't prioritize it necessarily, but it's going to pop up on Netflix anyway, and I think there is something I'd rather watch The Crown. Where, Thank you very much. Well, okay, so priorities are what they are. They but are what, what they are. You, Pleasure. What, what Pleasure is, the, is my first priority. <laughs> it, 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 Gratification it be a, is my first priority, <laughs> especially over the holidays. An interesting way of putting it, because uh, there's a lot of gratification to be had at movies this, this season, but... Also, some really tough decisions because if you have a family with like three people and the sensibilities all differ, it's going to be hard to find one movie that's going to work for everyone. I'm not Coco sure what would be idea. my answer to that one. It's a, a very sweet movie. I mean, it's not. I mean, it's, it's a great. It's really it's, fun for the whole family. It really is. That that movie has everything for everybody. I would including say our buddy Gael Garcia Garcia Bernal, who's you know really good in it. Yeah, he does a good job. I mean, I responded to this movie quite emotionally. It reminded me a lot of the Latin American heritage in my life and so forth. But um, You're being slightly know, I, dismissive I, right now. I Well, I mean, I think that it's... Uh, isn't, that it's what the, not, isn't that the original I, family movie? That movie, a Pixar movie like Coco? Well, that's what it's, it's supposed a, to be, and I that's what it is. And so is Star there, Wars, for that matter. There's something about Coco that, that I did think was a little obvious at a certain point. I'm, I'm not knocking the movie for what it is. I think it works very well, and, and visually it's astonishing, but I would not rank it as one of Pixar's best because I, I did feel a little bit like I'd been there before, and not only because it's the second you know, animated film. Yeah, there was film the Guillermo little, del Toro one. Yeah, there was that one. But, but Which I, wasn't I, nearly like, as good. It was like, it, it's not a risky movie, let me put it that way, but it's a very satisfying one for what it is. So, you know, it's, again, you're, you're probably right that, that it is a, a solid family option. Well, what would, I would you say, pick? <laughs> I would say go see Phantom Thread. Let me explain why. Oh, please. I, Eric. I say, 
Really that why. is hardly Those, a unifying it, 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 totally mainstream uh, yeah. pl pleasure. That's for art. Hello, if everybody. You, if you have, if your family is made up of of people who are culturally sophisticated, by all means, go see Phantom. Thread. I'm taking my folks to see that movie. They also already saw Coco. Let me say. Let me explain why. You like the movie, right? I do. Yeah, it's a good movie. I, I have not talked to anybody who doesn't like that movie at all. I have. I've talked to a few people, who, to who, people who don't like it at all. But, but the thing is, it's I find it to be a very satisfying piece of filmmaking for a couple of reasons. Uh, some of them have to do with just PTA as a, as a storyteller, as a filmmaker. But also, it's a romance. It's funny. It's got some really great performances. And it is super unpredictable. So I found it to be a movie that actually works on a much bigger level than people are giving it credit for. Because it is, a, it is more of a comedy than people realize. This prickly asshole from the fashion world and the woman who kind of manages to push back that to that and become a part of his world on her own terms, I think is a really satisfying piece of filmmaking with an amazing score from Johnny Greenwood and so many other factors. I mean, it's just a, it's just a really cool movie. By the way, I ended up talking to the guy that you interviewed at one point, to Mark Bridges, the costume designer, who... Um, really does does an amazing job on this and it was fun to dig into what went into uh actually creating those costumes and what daniel day lewis uh how much he was involved in in creating that world that they that they have this london special world this fashion world which is completely made up i mean they, they use some people as as models but it's it's not like it was something that already no. existed they, they figured out how to create a, a fashion designer who would have made sense for that era yeah, yeah. very interesting and they had to do a lot of original designs and and you know cut up uh you know ancient lace you know from another century it was fun it was fun to talk to him and i think he's probably going to win uh, best costume design and Johnny Greenwood did wait, did make for the first time he is now uh, he uh, in a very good position to be nominated for for his first uh, time as a, as a composer yeah he did quite quite a number there so hey you could go see Coco or if you want to go out on a limb a little bit take your folks to go see Phantom Thread or you could go see The Post the Steven Spielberg movie <laughs> Which is very gratifying and very timely and a, a good ride with Meryl Streep and Tom Hanks and Bob Odenkirk and the whole gang. Um, it's all right. It's all right. I say Phantom Thread. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, Eric, you're acting like they're going to go to one movie. Yeah, well, we hey, are operating you want to on the assumption that people will go. It's the highest uh, audience level of the entire year, all crammed into one you know, period I, of time, and, and you'll go was, to more than one movie. Yeah, I will say it is, it is one of the best times I can think of where you, you're going to see movies with your with people, who have relatives or whoever, because there's so many different kinds of options. So it, it's hard to go wrong. This and time people right. can catch up with Lady Bird or whatever. Um, although I think it's losing theaters. There's a lot of um, attrition right now because there's so many movies in theaters taking up so many screens that some of the movies that have been around for a while have to sort of lay low for a little bit before they come back with the uh, Oscar nominations. 
That's true. Well, there's always the new year, too. You can keep watching. It doesn't just end in December. So next week, uh, we will both be on vacation, but we'll have a very special episode where we'll talk about some cool stuff that we've seen this year. So we hope you'll tune in and, and enjoy your time off. And uh, I'm looking forward to reconnecting in the new year. Indeed.